0: Hey, what up? This is uh episode something of Swamp Fiends. Today six. we are, is it six? I don't I know what it is. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh today we got Fox in the Swamp. Uh Fox, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing alright, man. Trying to stay sane. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> this pandemic, man, it's pretty crazy. How much do you guys miss playing Foe?
1: <laughs> so much. I've been bugging people on Vassal. Like, I've I've gotten in like two or three games of vassal a week. I've actually got more foe in on Vassal than I normally did during the weekday in person.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty uh awesome. Uh I haven't really messed with Vassal much. I'm just like whenever I get game time, I wanna be playing my computer games or, or you know, like I'm playing Shinmu three, which is like weird, but <laughs> whatever. You know, I'm I'm like I wanna be messing with video games when I'm when I got my home alone time. But I definitely have put my time in with Vassal, and I don't, I don't know how much I feel it translates to the actual tabletop. Do, Fox, do you feel like you're playing Malifaux, or do you feel like you like you're playing like uh, Malifaux kinda or something?
1: It's a Malifaux know. simulator, is really what it is. Um, one of the things that I love about Malifo and in miniature games in general is the interaction because I'm such a people person. So talking yeah. to someone like on Discord is not the same as like being right next to them buying them a beer you know having a good time like it's it's a game but it's not the same
2: yeah like because i used to play magic a lot and then i tried playing magic online and i'm like it's not the same or if like i'm going to like a local like whatever friday night magic and then my friends are going and it's just gonna be like whoever's there sometimes i'm just like oh, i just don't want to go yeah, definitely, and that's even with
0: magic, which I feel like half of your games are played with like earbuds in and shit like that. <laughs> right, but yeah, yeah sometimes I, I miss the shop, dude. I miss you know chugging it up, you know. Um, so anyway, we let's get into our topic. So today we're talking about we're going to talk about rules, models, all kinds of stuff that plays different than it reads. Like often when you first read a card, you're like, "Oh, look at this, this, and this." That sounds so exciting. And then you get there on the table and you're like, it just doesn't play out that way because Malifaux is just like such an interactive game. It's so back and forth that it's, it's, it's just so difficult to sort of think about, you know, like, you know, make that translation from the card to the game. Have you guys had like similar experiences?
1: Oh yeah. I think one of the things about Malifaux is just that, um, it's a, there's no two games of Malifo that play out the same way normally. Like, unless, even if you re-rack the same pool with the same crew, you're probably going to play it differently. So um, there's always things that just play, like, really strange. Like, you get them on the table and you're like, I don't think this would go this way. And sometimes you're happy about it. And other times, you know, it's like, well, now I got to rethink the strategy because this is not going to work out the way I wanted it to
0: yeah and like often you just like one decent ability that didn't seem that exciting when you first read the card is like all you end up doing throughout the entire game right right rather than like all of these cool things you're like well if i could set up this this and this you know then i could do this this and this i think like jimmy i know you play combo stuff like in magic and like other games have you had sort of similar experiences you're like i could set up all these combos and then it just sort of doesn't play out that way
2: yeah, sometimes. I've kind of been shying away from that because, I don't know, it feels like in, like... I guess like now that we're playing a game with, like, alternating activations, like Malifaux versus, like, other tabletop games I've played, it kind of takes away from being able to really, like, stack combos because your opponent gets to react, like, every time you, you know, take two actions on one guy. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point that...
0: Um, Maybe I got dissuaded from that sort of general play style when I played Guild Ball like hardcore for a year, because in that game, you can't like anything that requires like two activations is like trash. <laughs> like it setup is like really bad because of alternating activations, and like I felt like the the ultimate thing that dissuaded me from playing that game further was I got to a point where if I played like an equally skilled person, the game would devolve to where we would just spin the entire game breaking apart each other's plans and neither of us could create plans. And that wasn't a very rewarding experience. And I feel like Malifo definitely has that. Like you part of the game is, is taking apart your opponent's plans, but there are a lot of moving pieces that are really difficult to see in a way that makes it easier to set up certain things. But like I said, certain things are just always going to fall apart when you put them on the table.
2: Um, yeah, that's true. It could be, I've had games where I'm playing them. Like, okay, this is my entire plan. Like I have, I could have the next two turns planned out and then my opponent, you know, makes a move. I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. And then I have to like rewrite the whole script of the, the rest of the game. Yeah. Go, no, rewrite to the whole script
0: is, is such a good way of putting it. I have to rewrite the whole script. Yeah, that's perfect. So Fox, I feel like having you on this episode is perfect because you play like so many different you play so much, <laughs> like like I different. Do. You play so many different things. Uh, I think it would be really good if you provide uh, us with like an example of something where maybe you had like a really cool plan, and then you got it on the table, and it sort of fell apart.
1: I can actually think of a pretty perfect model for this because when I first started playing Guild a couple months ago, I was super excited about the Guild Investigator and uh, you know the remove evidence where they can remove a scrap marker or course marker and draw cards. So I was like, man. I'm going to be drawing cards like all over the place. This is awesome. And then you play it and you realize like you're putting your entire plan around the seven cost model and you're spending like more actions than you need to draw cards. And it's just like whenever you have to like force that mechanic into the game, suddenly you're, you're not playing the game. You're playing this weird little mini game with yourself, which drawing cards is good. But drawing cards doesn't win you the game, like it doesn't score you points to draw cards, so like I went from investigators are amazing to you know they're they're all right, they have their space, I guess
0: see that's interesting because Jimmy, you've been
2: like really talking about investigators right when Lucius right Isn't yeah, that? I do have a list I want to try once that box comes out and I get it all put together. I can agree with that kind of mindset and, like, how it's dangerous to, like, fall into that trap. Just, like, from playing Lucius and his whole mechanic with, um... What is it? Following Orders, is that what it's called? Yeah. you draw a card. Like, trying to just, like... I have to have the f- perfect, like, trickle-down of that so I can draw as many cards as possible. Like, going too far down and trying to, like, force it can just, like... Like, the first two games of Malifaux I played, I played Lucius, and I was so focused on... Like maximizing that—that that I like just wasn't scoring points on anything, or it was yeah. very hard to score points. I had to like catch up in the last two turns or something. It's you know, you, sometimes it's like there's certain abilities on the cards you can't like like okay, I have to trigger this ability every single turn. No, it's not going to happen. You're just gonna you can try to like take advantage of it or like set yourself up in some sort of way. Like,
1: I so don't you can know. also like force it too side. hard. You're
2: taking away from winning.
1: But you can also have like the flip side of that. like you can have certain synergies that just stack up so well that once you get them on the table, you're like, uh, I you know, I didn't realize how good this was gonna be. like um Mancha Roja is a great example of that. Like when you first look at him, you're yeah. like, for a nine stone model, this guy's okay, and then you realize like how many piano markers, how many conditions you have, and suddenly he's swinging on people for min five, and you're like, oh, oh wow, okay, this guy does this pretty consistently. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, Mancha is a very good example because um he has less moving parts than I would say other sort of combo pieces. I mean it makes sense that he's a wrestler, right? He sets up, you know, you set up combos and if you get you know if you're dropping the elbow from the top rope, you're doing mid five. It's pretty sick. So he has less moving pieces in that respect. Uh so when you get set up, he does some some nasty stuff. But I've also played plenty of games where he was too slow to keep up with the rest of the crew and, uh, you know, hard to wound is not that great of a defensive tech. So he was either like hanging in the back until the end and then got one meaningful combat activation. And then he, he's just walking and dropping a scheme like every other, like every other model in the game could do. Jimmy, I think you touched on a really important point, which is um, a lot of times setting up co- when you read a card, right? Right. this is a list of actions and actions are sort of the most valuable resource in the game weirdly. So when you look at the card, you're like, okay, I can do this, 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 and this. And he's like, Oh, well that sounds good. That's a good thing. It's I can do. That's a good thing I could do. And that's a good thing I could do. And I'm spending actions because that's what you do in this game, right? You, you spend actions and you do good things, (laughs) but at a baseline, if you're spending actions as a resource to get cards as a resource, that's only good if those cards, if you can leverage those cards to winning the game. So I feel like it could be very easy to just read a card and be like, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And then you like, when it's time to go to the table, you're like, well, my card has three good things. So it must be a good model. But I often find that some of the best models just have nothing, you know, just like, the front of the card is cool, the back of the card could say absolutely nothing, because all it's going to do is, like, walk eight times and drop schemes twice, or something, you know what I mean? Or it's going to punch twice, you know, something like that. Um, Would you guys have similar sort of feelings about that?
1: I mean, I agree. I agree. There's a, like you said, it's the best resource that we have. It's the most uh, limited resource that we have in the game. Like, you know, I guess summoners have the ability to, to create more actions, even then, like, what your characters are doing, what your models are doing is important. And you only have so many actions for that model to actually do something in a game. And especially in a tournament where you're never guaranteed that you're going to get to turn five, that limits that OP more. So you've got to be more synergistic with your abilities. Like they have to almost, these little cute little combos have to almost be things that happen naturally as opposed to, Something you're trying to like force into your game plan,
0: yeah. Happen naturally is a good way of doing it, because or a good way of saying it. Because I definitely had crews and outcasts where I'm like, all of this reads good. It has to be good. But then when you get it on the table, none of the points happen naturally, which is a very difficult thing to describe. I think happen naturally is a very good way of putting it. Like, well, like,
1: and your your Terra crew. I mean. I cannot tell you how many people that I've either played who play Tara or um, just are talking about Tara. And they're like, I don't get how she does this. I don't understand why she would be good. This seems really convoluted. This doesn't make sense. And then you watch, you know, you play Tara and it's like, oh, OK, that's that's exactly how that can work.
0: Yeah, Um Tara is a very tricky one. She's like almost a, a, an example of, in in a different category uh, of some of these other things, because what the way she is weird is that you read her card and you read the three good things and you're like, okay, there's the three good things that are saying I should do this. And then you read all of the other cards and like all of the other cards. And I'm referring to like, make them fast, punch them better. Right. If, if anyone looks at the cards, they read, make them fast, punch them better. Right. Cause that's, there are like 20 examples of that right throughout the crew. But in reality, there's only two actions that you get to pl- use on the table reliably that translate the points, which is just like Tara's leap. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you read the cards, like, okay, I've read the whole keyword. There are 50 things saying I should make them fast and punch them better. And then there's only one thing that was actually good. Uh, I think she's a weird example. Cause like at, at, face value you're like this is how i play it but if you look at the cards hard enough then you realize how to play it differently on the table uh but you can still kind of play it the other way i don't know she's she's super weird in her own little right but she's trash now so you don't have to worry about it i have to say that
1: <laughs> well i think Sommer, I think Somers the same way too like um i was just talking oliver and i were talking with the guy on the bayou um facebook group yesterday and he was like I don't get how good old boys are good they seem really lackluster and my brain just kind of skipped for a minute and I was like you really need to go back and look at what this crew does because sure he's a stat five defense willpower but you have Lenny so he's actually a stat six defense willpower with hard to wound and generally plus flips on defensive like this guy's not going anywhere. And that whole crew is a huge example of like, I probably played it 15 games before the crew even made sense to me on the table because there was just so much going on. So many like interlapping auras and synergies and discard this card to draw this card to shoot this guy to, you know, like it's crazy and like super complicated keywords like that are a hundred percent. Like, you'll never know how they play until you put them on the table.
0: And I would say that that's like the opposite of example of what we were talking about initially in that summer is a crew that almost, it plays off out better on the table than when you first read it, because like you said, certain things happen naturally, right? Yeah. Like when you read all these auras, you're like, well, that seems, you know, difficult to do. And the, like, all of this stuff seems like, small little pieces but the sum of the parts is actually better than you initially think i think
1: <laughs> i agree um, and there are some models too that like you look at an ability and you think that is freaking awesome i love it like um the ability that smugglers have to let them discard a soul stone to draw two cards that seems really good in the moment except that in bayou we don't have any soul stone generation so mm-hmm. outside of um what the the miners from maw Like, there's no way to just get soul stones. Kind of like if it was an arcanist that would be an amazing ability to have. In Outcast, it seems like a pretty good ability to have, except that Parker's crew draws cards anyway, so it's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and Parker, and that's a that's a good example too, because Parker, you don't really need cards in his crew. Like, discards are a resource, so you don't really care about cycling. Like, you only really need two or three Severs to really have your crew's best efficacy, like, in hand. It's almost like you want the Severs in the deck rather than in hand with him because you got so many plus flips and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, that's an example where you're like, oh, I could cycle more cards. More cycle, more better, you know? But then when you get on the, <laughs> when you get on the table, it's not, not always the case.
1: Well I think there's time efficiency too. I think that's an important uh important thing especially when you're talking about tournament play. Like cycling cards takes up time. Doing shockwave duels takes up time. Like some models don't play out as well just because they eat up your time on the board and time that your opponent has spent for flips that don't actually do anything or score any points is time you're not scoring points.
0: Yeah, you could definitely get too cute with it, uh, for sure. Speaking of too cute, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and tell my anecdote of a time I thought models were way awesomer than they were. <laughs> Is uh, uh, when it, the the three first kicked off. I wrote this list that was uh, Parker Jackdaw Second Master Pride uh, and Double Dead Outlaw, and then something else. And the whole premise was that I can force almost 20 or more discards out of your hand. And once I do, I have like four models that punish you. So Parker's either doing the four damage from his action. Dahl's either executing you. The dead outlaws are making you take obey actions if you can't discard. And then Pride is doing four irreducible if you couldn't take discards. And I was like, oh my gosh, all of this combined, it's like the best shit I've ever seen. And then, and then you know, the dead outlaws can make uh pride fast so he can do six irreducible and had the emissary so jackdaw is unkillable and the emissary is dropping schemes so the uh dead outlaws are already making you know pride super fast or the emissary super fast not super fast as in like movement but it fast as in having extra ap right and then the emissary has all these these bubbles that are giving extra like benefits oh it's so good Like on table, uh, like when I read all of that stuff out, I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. I will like one shot every master ever. And then I played it three times. And then after that, I'm like, this is the worst list I've ever (laughs) thought was good (laughs) because all of that stuff combined is like, that is amazing. Like you can't stop me from killing everything. Like everything's going to die. And uh, not only that, like you can't kill Jackdaw. You can't kill any of my shit. I have all this healing I'm going to obey you. I actually have obeys and outcasts for once. Oh, so good. But when you get there on the table, all of this synergy, what that amounts to is if one model dies, everything falls apart. (laughs) Yeah. Like all of this stuff sounds super good until you realize that not only if one model dies, everything falls apart, but all of them have to stay within like six six to 12 inches of each other. And like schemes and strats don't let you do that half the time. And not only that, if your opponent doesn't just sort of like walk towards you, you know, what, you know, I didn't, I read all of these actions on the back of the card. And I'm like, if I do all of these actions on the back of the card together, I'm going to like win the game. But I didn't realize until I sat down on the table that the actions I was actually going to have to take were like walk and interact and like, you know, positioning based stuff.
1: The ones that win you the game.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The
2: ones that actually win you the game. So I had the exact same experience in my first two games of Malifaux. I um, remember I was playing Lucius, and I had Agent 46, I had the Doppelganger, and I had the um, was it the Hooded Rider. And I was like, oh, I just copy the, the Hooded Rider's weapon. It's a big, you know, beat stick weapon. And then I copied on both Agent 46 and Doppelganger, and I just do a lot of damage, and I win. And then I also draw a million cards, and but balancing like all that together. And there was no perfect sequence to get everything I wanted done. And it just made me take like hour turns and, and then the hooded rider would die. And then I'd be like, Oh, I have like nothing.
0: Yeah. And, um, that's, that's actually a perfect example because this is also an example that I see all the time on the internet where people are like, how do you beat this list before agent 46 got nerfed, especially people are like, this list outputs, you know, forty-seven damage a turn, like, and they you can't cheat, and they have a handful of severe and in reality, that situation never happened. <laughs> like, yeah, can never, it did, you can never, can never, massively it up. messed up. Yeah, yeah.
1: Especially because Agent Forty Six is just so easy to to run down and and take out. Like, I see so many oh, gunline Agent Forty Six lists, and it's like. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, how are you winning the game?
0: Yeah. And I, I think Jimmy, to your point, I think Jesse, which is like the guild player in North Carolina would definitely agree with you that sort of there was the agent 46 style and there was the other style. And now the agent's been touched a little bit. The other style is probably a little more efficacious.
2: I think, I think before the nerf, it was agent 46 was not good.
0: <laughs> I just did not. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, that. uh, all of that synergy sounds amazing until your opponent realizes that they can just walk from house to house and score points and they don't have to ever let you draw LOS to them. And
1: yeah, they don't have to look into that bubble agent wins for me because he is one of the very few uh, ruthless models in guild. So he does have a place when I'm like, I know Jack Daw is coming and I need to deal with him. Uh, Agent 46 comes in, but it's it's not necessarily for his mimic ability as it is for like just being able to not instantly lose to Jack Daw.
2: Yeah, that's true. I also, um, I've only ever played him as Neverborn, so it's kind of a different experience. Like, I can't copy, there's no guns to copy. Right. So,
1: it no, does kind of change deal. it quite a bit. I love, um, in Guild, copying uh, the Pale Rider or the Pathfinder's gun and yeah, especially before I played a the game nurse. It was so One of the games so, I played
2: with Mike, I played against like that exact list, basically. The Pale Rider, Agent forty six, Lucius. West. Yeah,
0: that was the last pre pandemic game that I got to at least watch before Oh yeah. We we bolted all the doors. And yeah, that's a really interesting matchup, just the terrifying and all the action economy versus just the it's like very uh Installable, kind of
2: so. yeah, and that he had he couldn't be moved, and he had a lot of stuff going for him. that. Was a hard game, yeah, it's a good one to
0: watch. Um, so uh, on the opposite side of the coin that we talked, t- touched on a little bit with summer, what are some examples of things that um, you thought were real thought weren't that great and then you got it on the table and you're like oh i like this a lot more like jimmy do you have any examples of those that you've ran into
2: yeah i do um probably with um capellius playing him on the table i've liked him like a lot more the more i've played him even though i've heard some people kind of not say he was bad, but say he was had um, a very more specific like he was like a niche pick, I guess. But I honestly, every game I played him, I've like I'm glad I've ha- I've had him. He kind of he's, I mean, yeah, he's just he's fast and he can put out a lot of damage. Like he's pretty versatile. And even though I thought like oh I'm gonna use him to like just kill things, I usually end up scheming with him a lot. In, in Dreamer I end up scheming with Lord Chompy Bits and Capellius way more than I thought I would, just because they have you can they can get so far down the table and start scheming earlier. Like like Stitched are not gonna walk across the field very quickly. Like I thought, oh, they'll just kinda do their thing, like they'll do their attack once since they can only do that move once the this was before they changed it, but you know, they could only do the take the exiled card and bring it in for their their flip, and then they would drop a scheme. But then I'm like, well, I need to like walk, walk, and then walk scheme for them to get anywhere and drop a scheme.
0: Yeah, I think um, Ashes and Dust is very similar to Capellius in that uh, he's he's well, Capellius is killable, Ashes and Dust is unkillable, so there's the distinction. But like both of them are like scary beaters that also have scheme runner tech so they that they, they like walk down a, a flank and it forces your opponent to say oh i guess i'm i can't you know my seven stone like minion is not going to be able to take him one-on-one so i might as well just leave him be and then he goes and he scores like three points yeah and i think with Capellius, the reason people don't like him is if you take Capellius's card and you put it right in front of your eyeballs right now and you stare at that nine that's just it's nine stole stone cost right <laughs> just so i don't just so I'm so. correct in this way. Yeah. So if you stare at 10. that nine long enough, it can't be 10. It has to be nine. It's if you stare nine. at that nine long enough, you'll be like, okay, quick. this model is garbage. Cause I've looked at this nine long enough to think about like how much value I'm getting out of that number nine right there. That's right in front of my eyeballs. But <laughs> in reality, even though that nine looks like a lot, how much would you pay for that ability just to be like, this is my side. And if you're if your scheme runners come to fight my scheme runner, then my scheme runner auto wins. And I'll 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 limp into the scrum or whatever in the middle, maybe. If if you can't parlay winning the center into uh, three or four points, then I'm gonna do what I plan to do and just go down into your deployment score and breakthrough, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Well speaking of them, gonna, yeah. insidious madness. I think that uh they are so much better than uh they, they kinda got overshadowed because of the stitched early on. But like schemer to schemer, there's very few non beater models that can take out an insidious madness. Like it's just it's nearly untouchable with willpower duels and, and being able to heal and there's just so much going on with that model. And if you have an Alp in your pocket, they hit really hard too. So I love those guys in Dreamer, like and people just ignore them for the most part. Yeah, I haven't I didn't, got to uh, play them
2: yet, but I always said once Stitch get nerfed, inevitably, I thought they would be a lot better. Once the, the box comes out, I'm definitely gonna give it a try. And I'm I'm excited to play them. I think they're pretty good. Especially with some like Gaining Grounds 1, some of their abilities are just really good. Mm-hmm. I think they're just insane. Like being able to like, especially with um, the one with the lodestone token, Leland. like being able to just, yeah, just pop up and, and on something, if you summon one and scatter, like to deny a point, like you could set someone back pretty far. And you can, with how fast the crew is, I could easily see getting across the board and then making them fail a willpower duel on their guy that's by itself in the back yeah and then just keeping them off of the objective the whole game
1: well scatter's abilities like scatter heroic intervention i think are going to become much bigger deals in gg1 anyway um there's just so many things that if you deny even an inch of placement you can deny scoring points
2: yeah i like i like the new gaining grounds a lot especially I like how they i feel like they've made they used it instead of just nerfing things or making things better using that as well to make in certain pools certain abilities good and certain abilities not as good like the um uh, I'm blanking on the name symbols of authority that's the one where you place the objectives yep like in that one leap is insane but then in the one i just talked about the idols one leap is obviously not as good because models with the the token can't be placed
1: Well, have you guys? I don't like. I don't know how many guys' times you've gotten in because unfortunately, pandemic hit right after GG1. But have you found that with ley lines, it's better for you to put it on a fast model and send that one model up to do all the work? Or have you actually gotten work out of leapfrogging the token on to a new model? So I've played
2: that strat one time, and it was with Jack Daw. And. In this scenario, the way it played out, actually passing it worked really well for me. Which I thought. It makes sense because Jackal is
0: slow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, just a a rough overview of this is kind of tying back in another thing. I think when I first started playing him, I was like, Dead Outlaws are so good because you can scheme and then remove it to give someone fast. But that's its whole activation. So, you're trading 2 AP for 1 AP, which is, you know, not really that good yeah but um in that in that game that i played it's i was because of where i gave the dead outlaw the lodestone and you can't score on turn one i was able to do that then move him into play to score and then turn three i was able to charge and shoot because he has running gun and then pass it so like it kind of worked out in that scenario but like where now i see like okay that's a scenario where i can get away with that but i should probably stop just Doing that every game that I've played because it's not as good as I thought it was. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think I'm going to end up uh, doing the the fast guy does all the running sort of situation uh, personally, especially because I think I have crews that are pretty good at it. I have access to a lot of pushes and like Vix and some other keywords with outcast. right? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I would really wish I could have already played like ten games of that strat because. It seems pretty deep, uh, you know. With like Jimmy said, places being weaker now, and that was what most people were reliant on for scoring points in the past. And then there are so good denial, so many good denial abilities with that strat. I wonder how much um, people can actually implement them because, like in theory, it seems like lures will dominate this strat. But in, but maybe it plays out that. Once you score two points on the strat, if they spend 10 or 12 AP trying to deny you getting your third point, well, you spend 10 or 12 AP just killing those models or something.
1: Right. I don't know. Yeah. I think two points is going to be your standard in that scheme, honestly. Um, I think three is going to be, if you're in control of the game, you can win three. But yeah. I think in a, in a evenly matched game, two is going to be, like, you're going to easily get two points on it. And then the third point just becomes... Because if you take the... Let's say it's standard. And you take the two on your side. First two turns. Well, then you've got a model with the goal or with the token back. And now you have to fight over the middle. Well, the game is going to have moved to the middle. Because both players are going to have come into that middle area. So that third point, either you're going to have to take your model and go for the long haul on their side, or you're going to have to make that fight in the middle. And, uh, I mean, that's where, with with abilities like Scatter, Heroic Intervention, um, any sort of, like, push away, it's going to be so hard to do.
2: Yeah, yeah it kind of brings me back to where I've been saying since, before Gaining Grounds 1, but even more so, like, in all these like center control or like center line control or center of the board controls, I feel like is like just the most important part of the game.
0: Yeah. yeah I feel like it definitely is. In you one more, want more. more yeah. than zero because I, yeah, for sure. I plan explosives, and... rewarded
2: controlling flanks. Uh, yeah. This one, uh, and a symbols, lot of, symbols right. of authority. If you have control of the center line and you've placed, you know, depending on the, I guess it depends on the deployment type, but certain like like the ones that are in the corners, like corner and... Um, what's the other one? Flank, corner and flank. Yeah, it's huge. Just being able to place them in a way, and then you you can place them in a way where you don't have to defend that whole diagonal center line. Yeah. It's very doable. And if you take control of the center, like the one game I played of that, my opponent was not able to get through the, the wall I created because I just bogged everything down.
1: Well, back to our original topic, my um, anecdotal actually works for talking about Centerline too um, is uh, Gluttony. When I first looked at the model, I was like, all right, he looks okay. And then you put him on the table and his Maddening Drums ability. Um, you target a marker within six in- and then and a model within six inches. And then you push that model to the marker. They take two damage, remove the marker. It's a crazy good ability both offensively and defensively. Because, of course, you can move a mark- person out of position, remove a marker, that's basically like denying 2 AP right there. Um, but your own models, like, if they don't get to the marker, you don't remove the marker, they don't take damage. So if you just want to get a marker five in- or a model 5 inches up the table and it's, you know, you push it so that it hits, you know, terrain or another model or something like that, and suddenly you've got your own model five inches up the table. Um, like this guy is uh, hes good for backfield. If you keep him in the backfield, he stops uh, breakthrough, uh, sabotage, you know, whatever, any of those that that they want to get back in the back. And he's a walk six. So he can walk six and then hit you six. So he can basically control from the center line to your deployment zone pretty easily like he's a solid he's so much better once i started playing him and he fits into like i'd say four out of the seven that i play
0: yeah i th- I find that very interesting because w- basically what you're what i'm hearing when you say that is that um he's not better on the table because of some sort of discovered efficiency or because of some sort of way he um outperforms your expectations but he's a little bit better uh, on the table because of some sort of projected opportunity would you agree with that in that well let me let me clarify so so i feel like what he is bringing is like some sort of opera like uh, he's sort of denying in way denying your opponent in ways that they didn't even think about before. They may have sat down at the table.
1: I agree. I agree. He's yeah. definitely a model that you've got to. Once you see how he plays, you've got to suddenly think about. Well, crap! I can't just auto take um, a soulstone soul miner because breakthrough is and do breakthrough because he's going to be right there and deny that breakthrough point.
0: Yeah, or, or like, uh, yeah, uh, s- like I, I'd say the same for pretty much all of Parker's crew and in, in things like sabotage, where it's difficult to describe how how much it messes with your opponent's plans com- almost accidentally. Right? You did you didn't bring them to the table for this reason, but as soon as you pu- put them on the table, you're like, oh, it's awesome that I will never have to worry about sabotage uh, right. because I brought this model. Yeah.
1: And I think, too, that this is, a you know, it's he's kind of a model that actually affects better players more than he does, um, like, kind of a a standard player or someone who doesn't think on sort of higher levels of the game. Because seeing that model, if you know what he does, you're instantly going to think, well, okay, that denies me this section of the pool. And and it kind of creates those moments where a better player is suddenly going to be like, well, crap. Now, I can't take these now I'm gonna to have to think about this differently um you know, maybe the way i I wanted to play the pool, whereas like most some people will just be like, "I'm just gonna take the schemes I take and not worry about him, and they might get the points they might not, but you've put that stress point I think on a higher level player with a model like gluttony that they may not even be expecting to to show up,
0: yeah, that's really uh that's a really cool I agree point. With
2: that. Um, uh, like having a model that can like adapt, I guess. So I, I have, maybe I have a purpose for it, but if I have the need, I can like, you know, at a moment's notice, like usually something that can either have some sort of tech, especially whether it's ranged or they're also fast and I can get them where I need them to be to like disrupt something. I think that's really strong. And that's kind of what I like about Capelli, is just being able to, oh, I can just walk and charge out of you know, walk out of engagement and then charge at something at speed seven. And then he has the, you know, he has a built-in push to into his attack, like a built-in crow for that trigger. Like that's huge to be able to move, you know, 14 inches and then, you know, push you three inches out of some scheme you're trying to score or like Iggy, you know, we only just be fast and then have the ability arson just to shut something down from, you know, across the board, basically. You can just go, oh, okay, now I need to do this instead of what I was going to do, and just fly over there and take care of it.
1: Well, that's what I like about uh, Big Brain Brynn, too, because especially in my Sommer list, which Oliver and I argue all the time, Oliver thinks that Sommer should only be Big Hat. And he's not wrong. The way he plays him is definitely that way. But I started taking Big Brain Bryn, of course, originally for, like, calculate the possibilities. And obviously no one ever thinks... Bryn is bad because of Calculate the Possibilities, but once you start actually playing him and seeing like all of the places that he just turns the the that crew in particular to like a way up past eleven, um, you know. Of course, Calculate the Possibilities along with Bayou Two Card is just flat out amazing. But um, condition removal, like aggressive condition removal at six inches is a big deal, um, especially, um, like against Karis or, or any models that, 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 really need it. Um, plus it has a stun, uh, trigger, which is just unbelievable. His ability to turn off triggers is, it's huge and it's going to catch people off guard the first time you use it every single time. Um, the fact that he just doesn't die and you have expendable guys that, Literally, you're gonna shunt off uh, hits to them, and then you're gonna draw a card, which is fantastic. Um, and then he has pull the strings, which if you don't care if your bio gremlins die or not, let them take an extra shot. Then they die. Then you get a corpse marker, which you can use for other things. Like the the whole package of Bryn is so much stronger than just that one ability. That um, once I started playing him, like there was just these deep, deep levels. Into how this this model worked that I can't see playing Sommer without him.
0: That was that's really. I would like to see the math on uh, what your average flip, like quote unquote, would be with buy two card and calculate the possibilities. I bet I bet it's uh, pretty intense.
1: Yeah, I'm
2: not smart, so smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, or, what you're saying is really good when you calculate all his abilities.
1: Yeah, <laughs> his
2: yeah. Uh, his possibilities.
1: Well, because or it's not even you. just the calculate, it's also the fact that every Bayou every Bayou Gremlin you have dies and draws you a card. So you're getting like all this kind of card drawing, card filtering from that. Um you're discarding cards because you're using it for um piggy and grin and for shouting orders. So like the whole the whole experience of it is it's the reason why Sommer in general takes 15, 20 games to to figure out because there's just so many things going on and it's all dependent on like little itty-bitty pieces. But unlike a lot of like Rube Goldberg machine type crews, it does it naturally, so it works.
0: Yeah, and there's sort of an unseen advantage of the fact that you're going to see your black and you're going to see your red with that much card interaction, Mm -hmm. which is a difficult thing to describe And a thing that I think plays to this point where I really don't like sort of setup crews. Like I would describe Von Schill as that where you give out all this focus, you have this very high value AP and then you set up these things and then Hannah punches you in the face for 11 damage. Right. Um, But I'm, I really don't like this kind of crews because like at what point do you play, you, you filter the black Joker into that sort of thinking, like, with summer, like you're filtering through your entire deck, the black's going to come up, but it's there's almost no points where if black comes up, you're really upset. Like maybe calculate, I don't know. Uh You just summon flip, obviously. Um, right,
1: that's the big. But thing every time the red point.
0: comes up, you're pretty stoked. <laughs> like yeah. there's almost no place where it's bad because uh, you're getting like at least something out of it.
1: And you generally hit it twice, twice a turn. That's that's the crazy thing about it. Like. Uh, the amount of times i've hit red joker twice a turn and sometimes it's on like a bayou gremlin shot so it's not a big deal but then sometimes it's on georgie and olaf shot and it's in the middle of your opponent's activation and you just kill their model mid-activation and it's like oh yeah that happened
0: even with the bayou gremlin that's a difference of probably one to four damage right Four, yeah so you're you're basically adding three, which is almost what you would expect with a, a quality attack as well. Maybe four, like mo- even like uh, like executioners, like they're three, four, five damage tracks. So you're you're gaining the same amount of value out of flipping the red as you would out of flipping, you know, the red on the Bayou Gremlin. You know what I mean?
1: I think as more <laughs> people, um, as more people get used to playing him, and as more people kind of like get the sort of a uh, just all those build up synergies. Summer is going to be one of the best masters in the game. He's just there's very little he can't do.
0: I agree. Uh, Florida is turning into summer meta because <laughs> I've been talking <laughs> about how I think he's the best master in Bayou and Oliver has and uh, you guys have for sure over in the Bayou st- uh, s- sort of uh, sphere. <laughs> and uh, I I have him and uh, like everybody in Jacksonville has summer as like their eighth master or something, you know, like they have him in the stable.
1: Just, uh, Um, don't, if you want to keep winning, don't tell them about Bryn. Let that, uh, well, I guess the cat's out of the bag as soon as this is, but (laughs) (laughs) so
0: let's,
1: let's,
0: let's let's talk briefly about the opposite side of the coin though. So you, you feel like Bryn is a model who isn't an efficiency model, but he, he gives you like an opportunity, uh, to not only stack the deck in your favor, but he also has all those weird sort of tanky and like scheme removal type stuff and extra efficiency. W- what are some models that you feel like they have an opportunity cost associated and you thought it was worth paying and then you got it on the table and you found out it wasn't worth paying that opportunity cost? I could start off. So yeah, go ahead. for me, um, so Johan just received a, a buff, that basically lets him reliably remove conditions. I think his pre-buff version is a perfect example of opportunity cost not being uh, fulfilled. So say you're playing against um, Sonia, you'd be like, well, oh, obviously I want some condition removal because she puts burning on stuff. But then once you get on the table, you're like, OK, I brought this model specifically for the opportunity to remove burning, but The amount of positioning I have to do with my offensive models, positioning I have to do with this sort of defensive model, and the sort of hand cycling I have to think about in order to get the exact card I need to remove conditions just never ended up feeling like it was worth it. That, you know, I I should just tank burning in that example, that the opportunity I had to remove it wasn't worth the actual resources I had to pay to do so.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I think for me it's bass and the frontier keyword in general. The home on the range ability seems really really cool. Like I'm six inches up the board. That's a walk, and we always talk about how you know you want to walk as little as possible. But then like you either fall into that trap where you you're too far up and you're vulnerable to alpha ranges, and like the crew is not very sturdy outside of Reichart. Um So they go down pretty quickly. But also like once you get there. I just feel like the crew generally doesn't have a lot to do. Like, you know, I'm, I'm all the way up and I, what do I do? I drop a scheme marker. I focus. Like a lot of times that first turn with when I just do a walk and a focus, I'm mostly in position already, but I'm safe from retaliation. And if I, if I extend myself too far with, with frontier, suddenly I'm right there in and getting, you know, uh, fire golem in the face that i definitely don't want
0: yeah he he's a very good point because like you could have changed that rule to just read um every model in this crew gained swagger on the first turn because yeah. it's all you end up doing anyway it's just like well i got i saved a walk action so i guess i'll focus or something uh, because I don't want to be up there because I have a bunch of guns and that's where you go to die, right there in that spot. So I'll just stay back here and focus.
1: And like if- Rikert and Boss, for the most part, I do kind of want them to be maybe not all the way up there, but I like them as kind of a front runner. They're they're sort of like anvil type um, models, but the rest of the keyword does not need to be up there. Like Pathfinders, uh, Frontiersmen, they they've got to stay back
0: yeah but even with base he's like he's like awesomely tanky but only in a very certain situation where you could sit on severe or yeah. you could position your thing in such a way where it can't be interacted so your defensive trigger is super reliable um but yeah he's yeah you could definitely bait yourself with that sort of opportunity cost um,
1: and there are cool things like that one trigger he has, the end of the willows trigger, um that makes a uh makes a terrain piece hazardous. Like I've definitely used that in a game and it was epic when I did, but most of the time it requires so much to set it up like you need a big piece of terrain, you need your opponent to be in that terrain for it to matter. Cuz if you just make it hazardous, they're just going to ignore the terrain anyway. Um And, like, it seems super cool, and it's really, like, it's got a, it's a great piece of, like, you know, just, like, cinematic action that he's just turning this whole thing hazardous, but in the game, it very, very rarely plays out to to work.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I've played base a few times, and it feels like every game he just ends up being a min 3 melee guy. Yep. Like, all of his tricks just sort of fall away. And he Ends up being a min three melee guy with a good defensive trigger and hard to kill,
1: <laughs> right? And stoic uh, we, nod because a one, two, three heal on a master is important. That's what I want to be my master. It's AP. Other model, yeah,
0: right? Yeah, so. Uh, that's yeah, okay. yeah because that's I what
1: I want to spend my master AP on is healing oh, you're model. Being, I, I'm a
0: fucking idiot <laughs> 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 I, I thought you'd being serious I was like wait, wait 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 i opened my i opened my n3e app I was like wait a second what, what do I not get here <laughs>
1: if it had been a bonus and competed with his um with his terrain drop it, yeah. I would have been okay with it but as a base ability it's just terrible on a master if it was on a frontiersman it would be great on a master, it's just like there's no point for this.
0: It is a very cool named ability too. So it, it is. should be
1: so good. Not as good as Ma's handful of snakes.
0: Handful of snakes. Uh shit. Alright. So I don't know. Do you guys have anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up here? We're running close to our deadline.
1: Um, um I think one of the things too is talking about how some models are good in niche situations that, you know, you have to be able to look at like um, some models are going to perform well all the time. And some models are going to be superstars in this specific situation. Um, Especially GG one, I think has changed so that uh, you really can't just like, I'm going to take this list and run it every single game. The schemes are are just way too different. Um, They're, there aren't grouped together quite as well as they were. And well, I don't know if Wells are right, but they aren't grouped together the same as they were in GG Zero. So, like sometimes a model is just going to be a niche pick that does performs amazing for you that game versus that opponent and that board. And sometimes yeah, they're a, just going to be
0: meh. That's a really good point. I wonder. I've definitely experienced this. Have you guys experienced this, where like uh, sort of a niche model um, feels a specific role in a game? And it feels amazing, and then you end up bringing it over and over and over because you kind of have sort of a mental block. It's like, well, I need to have that opportunity to do this, this, and this, even though like subsequent games might prove evidence that you were you're wrong in sort of your assessment. But there's this this like looming cloud where you're like, well, well, that one time it did that.
2: You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, have I totally agree with that. I think. Um, um... Everybody Not really. Loves, uh, I don't
2: think so. Just because I've played so few games so far. Sure. That, that makes sense. it hard makes to develop sense. that. But I think general advice, just because how we're talking about how something seems good on paper and then you put it on the table and it's different, like, just buy everything and try everything. <laughs> hey, that's the best advice. Just <laughs> buy it all. Try it all. You have a drawer have full that, of uh, unbuilt models <laughs> that... You know, has like let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like fifteen kits for resors It's not even open. And you just know how
0: like uh basic everything. white girls have uh, live, laugh, love, cricketed, You know, like cutout stickers that are above their bed. You have a uh, buy everything, try assemble
1: test. <laughs> Never <laughs> paint above it. your bed. Also, don't paint. Yeah, yeah. Those are um, words to live by. I think I'm a mad scientist kind of builder anyway. I'm always just building lists and trying just like insane lists. But, but definitely like that's one of the good things about pandemic, um, where we're playing on Vassal. Everything is at your disposal. Um, put it on the board, give it a shot. Like you, you'll be surprised. Step out of keyword a little bit. Like I definitely usually don't recommend like all non keyword models, but you know, grab that, um, I started playing a couple months ago uh, Dashel before his buff, and I was putting a, a Death Marshal Recruiter in there. Jesse and I talked about it for a while. And, like, it's just stupid. Discarding two cards should be terrible, but it feels really good when they go to shoot your big model and you discard a card for the guild guard to take a hit. They kill the guild guard, then you discard it, and suddenly the guild guard becomes uh, a hard-to-kill... Uh, death marshal on two wounds and it's like all right cool we got this
0: yeah it sounds pretty good
1: let's just play it like i said just get it out there and play it because you never know what's gonna fit your play style what's gonna fit your games what's you know like if if the option's out there give it a shot
2: yeah yeah i like things like that because that's kind of something you don't you can't realize right away like that kind of interaction you just described. But like, once you come to the realization that it's like, well, every turn, I'm not going to have a fist full of 12s and 13s, like right. discarding two cards. Sometimes you're discarding cards that we're going to do nothing.
1: Well, and, and that's how the meta evolves too. I think like, um, you know, we get stuck in this idea of like, well, this is the best and this is the way it goes, especially like end of second edition where everybody was just basically switching out a master and playing the same crew. Um, but the meta evolves when people experiment and come up with new ideas and then they throw those ideas out there. People get super excited about them. And next thing you know, they're playing them and and it's the same way in any game. It's the same way in magic. It's the same way, you know, in any miniatures game.
0: Yeah. I think that's the perfect thing to go out on. Like instead of going to AWP to ask for a buff, like if you think Titania's bad, you know, like needs a buff, just become a Titania champion like be the one who knows all the matchups like that's probably a more productive <laughs> way of like making x keyword actually good is that you know you can't play it one or two times and then figure it out
1: yeah, especially for
0: sure. especially people who just read like i think the whole the whole moral of this sort of episode is that you i don't, I don't know you can't just read the cards and then tell people how matchups work you know what I mean? Right. Like just... Right.
1: There's so many different factors that that will come into play every single time. All right, anyway. Well, so thanks for that having me on. Good.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on, dude. Let us know if you want to uh, chat something else in the future. Sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, <sighs> later guys. Later. All right. See ya. Huh? What? Are you
0: doing in my swamp? Hey, uh is a postscript we got a discord channel up in the episode description so if you feel like uh, you need to log on and share some opinions about the apps uh, get on that and yell at us Uh, we probably won't be super active on facebook or anything like that Uh, so hit us up in the discord also um jimmy and i will probably be playing games in there and stuff too so if you're a pc gamer come in there and play with us i mean like him and i are good friends because we used to play 40k together and then we like, you know, played SWOTOR and then like wow and all kinds of sea of thieves, all that fun stuff <laughs> together. So I don't know if you wanna game with us, get in on that. Just make your name like your first name. I don't wanna call you like Ruroni Kenshin 6969 or something. Just like tell us what your first name is <laughs> and like where you're from. And we can play some games and chat it up or you could just talk and chat whatever it's dead right now but hopefully it won't be uh this is probably date this little postscript but it's april and i'm playing the hell out of some valorant so if you want to play that like please hop in there warzone 2 i'm playing some warzone 2 so come play or chat or whatever who cares